So that actually, um, this morning as I was practicing the sermon a little bit, kind of going over it in my mind, and I got the text about, uh, about James having a really bad night. It um, kind of threw me for a loop as I was preparing for this, because I'm preaching this morning on seven reasons not to fear according to Jesus. And it just reminded me that we have a lot to fear in this world. We do. And uh, many of us have experienced that firsthand, losing a child, losing a spouse, losing someone else, or losing a marriage. There are a lot of things to fear in this world. And you know what's, you know what's wonderful about this? Jesus takes our fears seriously. And I'm so glad he does. Many of you know that the command, do not be afraid, is the most commonly repeated command in the entire Bible. It comes from the lips of angels, comes from the lips of God, from God's human leaders and kings, his prophets, and especially, though, from the lips of his own son. But listen to this. The, most, the second most common command that from the lips of Jesus in the Gospels, the second most, is love the Lord your God with all your heart and, and love others as, your, as yourself. Now, that's repeated eight times from the lips of Jesus in the Gospels. The most common command is some variation of do not be afraid. Sometimes it says be of good cheer, be encouraged, take heart, do not, do not fear, don't be anxious. Some variation of that. So second most common command was eight times. How much or how often is this command repeated? 125 times in the Gospels from the lips of Jesus. Jesus takes your fear and my fear seriously. He knows we have reason to fear. He knows that this world is not what it should be. And yet he again and again gives us these words of encouragement to not to fear. So today we're going to look at one of them, which is Luke 12:32 here. And I love this one because it very succinctly gives us seven reasons not to fear. So instead of just saying don't fear, he gives us seven reasons, and they're very succinct if you think through them and draw them out. Now, before we look at these, though, I want, I want to encourage you to do one thing in your mind, or maybe even on the paper if you're writing in the, in the notes there. List some things that you are afraid of. And let's not pretend we're too spiritual to be afraid or anxious about anything, right? I mean, Jesus says 125 times. He, he took it seriously. He assumed that we're going to have things that we, we grapple with in this. So what are they for you? It might be something large, like the country, you know, and all the issues in the, in the country, or COVID, or it might be something more personal in your own life. Let's not ignore those. Let's get them out. Let's, let's put them on the table. In fact, more than that, let's put them on a chessboard. Each of your fears. And then on the other side of the chessboard, we're going to put this, the reasons Jesus gives us not to, to be afraid. And let's see which one, which side has the better pieces. All right, so Luke 12, 32, let's, let's pray. We've obviously prayed already, but let's pray uh, just for opening our minds and our hearts. Father, thank you that you have given us this word, even in trying times in our own life or in our nation, these words ring true. And so we pray that you'd open them to us, God. Lord, our fears can be disguised in many ways, and uh, in, even within our own lives. So I pray that you would allow us to see them, and more, help us to see how your word is going to apply to each one of these things in our lives, God. 
there are things we fear and are anxious about in our minds that the minds of people here I know nothing about. I could not preach to them, even if I had the skill and the time, because they are blind to me, but not to you. And I pray that you would bring them out to each one of us, and through your Spirit would apply these words. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, seven reasons not to fear, according to Jesus. All right, first reason. Jesus tells us not to. (laughs) Now, what I mean by this is not just that we should do what Jesus says. Obviously, that's always a good idea. But what I'm getting at is this. Jesus is the one who knows our future. One of the things that causes us worry is, is this fact that we can anticipate scenarios in the future that may or may not come true. In fact, uh, sometimes my wife and I, you know, we kind of remind us, okay, you're going to the worst case scenario there, and that's usually not what happens. Oh, why are you doing that? Um, but that's one of the gifts we have as, as, as human beings. Unlike the animal kingdom, who, who mainly see just what's there in front of them and maybe very short-term what's ahead, we can anticipate things happening years in, in advance. We can anticipate all the different scenarios, and some of them are bad, right? All right, I'm having issues again here. Excuse me, just a second. I guess I just get to read these to you. All right. And some of these are things that cause us grief, right, and worry. Now, what I point at when I say that the one reason that start off with that we should not fear is because Jesus tells us not to. He is the one who sees the future. He knows what's in your life and my life. He knows what's going to happen to us tomorrow and 10 years down the road, but more importantly, He knows our eternal life. He knows what we're going to look like 10,000 years from now. That's an amazing thing. And um, second reason then, and this kind of ties into this a little bit, because God is our Father. Fear not, little flock. The Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, we kind of take that word for granted. But do you remember or do you realize that in all the history of God, all God's special relationship with the people of Israel, in no time, in all that recorded history, do we have one instance of a person addressing God as Father. Not one time. There are six cases where the nation addresses God as Father of Israel as a nation. But what I can tell her, and what I could tell myself, and all of us, is this. The worst thing is not the last thing. Because what God is saying when he's saying he's giving you the kingdom, what Jesus is saying here is this. I am not promising you that you will not have the same share of sufferings in this world that are are common to all people, maybe even more. What I'm promising you is this, that this world is not the end, that there is a kingdom, a kingdom of God, or sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, that is his righteous and perfect and rule and, and, and righteous rule over all creation. 
and God will, will change and perfect all things. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sin. There will be no more unrighteousness, no more injustice. All things will be as they should be, and God will reign over that new creation with his followers. And if you're in the kingdom, then you're part of that. Here's what Jesus is saying. The worst thing is not the last thing. Because this life is not all there is. The pages of your life don't end at the day of your birth, or don't begin at the day of your birth and end at the day of your physical death. That's chapter one, okay? There's something much, much greater far beyond this, and that's what God is promising us. We have to keep that in perspective. Because sometimes like a child, we, we see the reality a certain way, and Jesus is reminding us that there is a whole bigger picture up here. And, uh, and that is what gives us hope. John, Ar- John Orberg is a pastor and a writer. He was writing about how um, when he was six, his parents allowed him to stay up and watch uh, The Wolfman. It was a, kind of a horror movie. Uh, as a six-year-old boy, he says, boy, did my dad regret that decision. Because after I saw that movie, for months, I was convinced every night that the wolfman was prowling in our den, just waiting to devour his preferred prey, six-year-old boys. And he says, I would go and I would go, I would make my way cautiously to my dad's bedroom and I'd wake, and I'd say, the wolfman. Oh yeah, the wolfman. And John writes, so with superhuman strength and, and, and courage, courage beyond my understanding, he would get up, take me to the living room, take me through the den, and pour me a glass of milk. And he says, I remember thinking, what kind of a man is this that he can just be so oblivious to this fear of mine? And, and the point he was making is this. His father was simply turned into a deeper and truer picture of reality than his six-year-old mind was. Jesus is not telling us that there aren't things that can hurt us, but rather that there is a picture of reality far, far deeper and greater than we understand, and we need to remind ourselves again and again of what this is. All right, sixth thing. Our Father, we cannot be afraid because our Father is giving us the kingdom. So the emphasis here is on giving. And what I mean is this. The kingdom is the gift from a father, not the paycheck from an employer. It's all by grace. Now we know that, hopefully. But sometimes in our day-to-day Christian life, at least if you're anything like me, in the back of your mind, or maybe sometimes in the front, is this idea that I need to ward off the bad things that can happen in my life and bring in the blessings or the good things that should happen in my life that I want to happen by my own performance. It might be by working hard enough. It might be by sinning not very much. It might be by reading my Bible or going to church a lot. In other words, though, the idea is that I will achieve the blessings that God wants for me to have in this life by pleasing him enough that he rewards me with things. That is not the gospel. That is from the pit of hell. Because that whole idea is that somehow we earn what God desires to give us as a gift. God says, the Father is giving you this kingdom. He's not selling it to you. He's not trading it to you. He's not rewarding you with the kingdom. He is giving it. It's a gift. And we receive it like a child or we don't receive it at all. That's what Jesus said in uh, 
Luke 18, 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What's a child do? They receive. <laughs> you know, we've got a five-year-old grandson. He doesn't have a job. He can't buy things from us, but he can receive them. He's very good at that, by the way, you know. <laughs> and, and they get that, right? I don't have the resources to buy things that I desire and want. I can simply ask and receive. And that's exactly the same dynamic. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That is a word of good news. All right, last thing. Last item. Seven. We cannot be afraid because our Father is pleased to give us the kingdom. And that means exactly what it, what it should mean in, in our ears. There's no difference in the Greek or English here. This just means God is pleased to give you the kingdom to give you the best thing in all creation, that when your life is over, you don't rot in the, in the ground or face God's judgment. Rather, that, that life has become a seed and there's a new and better, complete kind of existence with God, with all things made right. And Father is pleased to give you this. He loves you deeply. And, and again, the analogy with our own parents or our own parenthood, and, you know, when you're a kid, it's all about what you get at Christmas or a birthday, right? Especially at Christmas. You're not really focused on what other people are getting. It's all about, you know, and, and that's fine. That's childhood mentality. But as a parent, or sometimes with a spouse, you don't really care what you're getting that much. You, you, you're caring about what your child or your spouse is receiving and the joy that it brings them. In the same way, the Father is pleased to give you this kingdom. You don't have to worry that you're not good enough. You don't have to worry that your actions aren't high enough or pure enough or your motives are not, are not loving enough. The Father is pleased to give you this kingdom. So this is why Jesus says, in this world, he takes our, our fear very seriously, but he says, I want to give you seven pieces on the chessboard, seven reasons not to fear. First, because I tell you not to, and I've seen your future. Second, because God is your father. You're not an orphan. It's not left up to chance. It's not left up to circumstance. You have a father. Third, we are his flock. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. Fourth, we are his little flock. Fifth, our father is giving us the kingdom. Six, our Father is giving us the kingdom, not selling, trading, or rewarding. And then five, lastly, our Father is pleased to give us the kingdom. Now, here's a question. Seven reasons from Jesus not to be afraid, not to be anxious, not to be worried this next week. Will it be enough for us? And the answer is no. Unless we take in this word, these words, these thoughts, these verses again and again and again. You remember last week we looked at the book of James and talked about the word that could save our souls. And what did it say? It says the one who is blessed in this way is the one who looks intently into the word and continues to do this. Psalm 1. The blessing of God through his word, and this is part of that, is for those who meditate on the word day and night. All these things are true. But here's what I found out, and you probably have too. 
is that something can be very true and yet it doesn't change me. It doesn't help me as much as it should. Why? Because at the moment I'm not thinking about it. It's lost in the, in the back parts of the file system of my mind somewhere. It's not here in the front. It's not here in my heart. So in your uh, sermon notes here, I've given you seven ways that I want to encourage you to take in this word. And it's great. It's only one verse, right? So be easy to memorize this verse. Be easy to read through this every night with your family. Writing the verse out, putting it on the fridge or beside your bedside, taped to your mirror. Using this verse, verse for your Bible meditation for a week or two. Praying through this verse, using it for the basis of your prayers. Or maybe some of you can creatively recreate the verse in poem or calligraphy or song or some other way. Speaking this truth out loud to others and yourselves. One of the things we've, um, Kim and I worked on this week as I was thinking through this last part, can we put these on little cards? And, and so in your bulletin, you'll see a little card like this. And I'm going to put this um, in the cup holder of my car. Or maybe I'll get some tape and put it on the dashboard, one of the two, to remind me of the words of Jesus here. And let me take this in again and again. There's also about 40, uh, that's all we had, refrigerator magnets. You can put this on your refrigerator or someplace else that's metal. Now, obviously you don't have to do that. It's, uh, we're not going to check on you. You don't get a report card on this. Here's the thing, though. I know for me that unless I have a way to take this in again and again, the beauty of Jesus' words, though I agree with every one of them, will not fundamentally change how much I fear this week. It's by reminding myself, myself of this again and again, taking this in, that is why we cannot be afraid. So why can we not be afraid? This week, let's focus and meditate on this verse. Remind ourselves that Jesus, the one who sees our future, tells us not to. That God is our Father. We're not orphans. We are his flock. We are his little flock. Our Father is giving us the kingdom. Our Father is giving us the kingdom. And our Father is pleased to give us the kingdom. Those are beautiful, beautiful words, beautiful reasons from Jesus not to be afraid.